0: Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Wait a Week Mystery. I'm your host and author, J.C. Bodden. In today's podcast, I'll be sharing with you a chapter from my novel, Someone to Watch Over Me, copyright 2007. This book is the first in the Devlin O'Quinn Mystery Series. It tells the story of Devlin's daughter, Jenny, who has taken a job on campus as a dorm resident advisor while she works on her graduate degree. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next installment, someone to watch over me, as well as the other three books in the Devlin no O'Quinn series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. You can check out my website jcboden.com—that's j c b o d d e n dot com—for more information and the link to my Amazon page. Now I won't make you wait any longer. Here we go with episode 104. Someone to watch over me. Chapter 4 Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child Jenny's Story The next morning, in what was becoming an irritating habit, I overslept again. My laundry was still in the basket, unfolded, where I had dumped it from the dryer before falling into bed. I hurried to class, and afterwards to the lab to set up new experiments. The lab door opened and closed quietly. I was vaguely aware of the sound as I sat hunched over the microscope, my back and bottom aching from the uncomfortable stool. I turned to see who had entered, but no one was there. The lab was divided down the center by a long counter with shelves above it, blocking the view to the other side. My eyes blurred from the sudden shift in focus. Jansen, Dr. Woodruff?' I called, thinking one of them must have come in and stepped into the prep room on the other side of the counter.' When there was no reply, I assumed that someone had mistakenly opened the door and then let it close again. I stood and stretched, trying to work out the kinks in my back. It was time to go anyway, and I gathered my stuff—slides, takeout drink, backpack— and headed to the prep room to stash the slides back in the fridge. As I stepped around the corner, my foot touched something stretched across the floor in front of the sink. I looked down and squeaked. I'd stepped on a leg. "'God!' Several things happened nearly at once, in rapid succession. I dropped my drink, and it splattered across the floor. I clutched the slides in my other hand to my chest, ruining them and staining my shirt. The legs, the one that I had stepped on, and its mate, jerked, and the body they were attached to, which until this moment had been laying under the sink, tried to sit up quickly. There was a rather loud thud, followed by a muffled curse, as the head attached to the body cracked against the inside of the sink cabinet. "'God!' I said again, now embarrassed instead of shocked. "'Are you okay? What are you doing?' I bent down for a closer look. The man was still lying halfway under the sink, propped on one elbow, rubbing his head. I couldn't see his face, but I recognized the tan work shirt of the University Maintenance Department. "'Are you okay?' The work shirt still didn't come out. "'I'm really sorry. I didn't know you were there.' There was more more head rubbing, accompanied by still more mumbling." "'Damn!' was about all I caught. Suddenly, with a violent twist, he worked his way out of the cabinet and sat on the floor. It was Joe. Deaf Joe. Obviously, he had never heard me call out when he came in the room. "'Oh, hey, sorry about that.' "'Um, my fault.' He pushed off the floor, dabbing his head with a rag from his pocket. "'Let me get you some ice for that.' Mortified, I went to the counter by the fridge and put my materials down, searching for a towel." I'm okay, don't worry. Hands shaking slightly with leftover adrenaline, I found a towel and scooped some ice out of the freezer, then put the bundle in Joe's hand and gently pressed both to his forehead, standing on tiptoe so I could see what I was doing. I don't see any bleeding. I'm okay. He smiled slowly, the lines increasing creases of his face arranging themselves into a look of sublime sweetness, and I realized much later that I'd actually gasped. He smelled faintly of soap and grease, and I was frozen, lost in his stunning blue eyes. I'm not sure how long I stood there, but it was not until a trickle of melted ice water slipped down the underside of my arm that I jerked my hands away and backed up, my cheeks heating as I turned and fumbled for the paper towels on the counter. First I dabbed my shirt where the stain had already begun to set, then knelt to mop up my spilled drink. Let me do that. I stood and grabbed more towels as he swiped deftly at the mess on the floor, trying desperately to think of something to say to cover my embarrassment. "'You know my Aunt Tilly and Uncle Mickey.' There was no answer, just a determined cleaning of the spilled drink. Suddenly I realized why he hadn't spoken, and I bent down to catch his eye and repeat, "'You know my Aunt Tilly and Uncle Mickey.' Now he paused in mid-swipe, sitting back on his heels and taking the extra paper towels I was holding." Mama Tilly's the only real mother I ever knew. There was something about his tone, so full of tenderness and yearning, that made my throat close with unexpected emotion. Me too. I thought I had whispered it, that he wouldn't hear it. I forgot that he didn't need to hear it, wouldn't hear it anyway. He read my lips. I know. His eyes were solemn, his voice as soft as a caress. Embarrassed all over again, I grabbed the soggy paper towels and tossed them in the garbage. Joe hesitated and then looked away. He seemed about to say something else, but instead picked up his wrench and slid back under the sink. I leaned over and tapped his knee. My heart skipped a beat as those cobalt blue eyes lasered onto my face again. Sorry again about your head. I remembered a sign and made it. a closed fist in a circle in front of my chest. Sorry. Joe's face broke into another slow grin. I'm pretty hard-headed. His fingers flashed. O.K. I gathered the worthless slides and tossed them in the trash. Another thought occurred to me. Joe? I peered back under the sink. He craned his neck to look at me from his awkward position. You say something? Did you come by the dorm last night? Joe glanced to where water was dripping on his arm, then squinted back at me. No! Why? Someone was looking for me. I shrugged, not sure how to interpret the sharp tone of his voice, the sudden frown. Well, see you around. All the way back to the dorm, I thought about that last look on Joe's face. It seemed somewhere between anger and fear, but I didn't know which, and I didn't know why. Joe's Story One day, shortly after the school year had resumed in January of his first grade year, his teacher sent him to the nurse's office. He was feverish and pale, and the nurse tried to call his mother to come and pick him up. His mother, however, was nowhere to be found, and the youngster spent the rest of the afternoon dozing in and out of sleep on the cot in the office. As he trudged home after school, the bitter wind whipped through his thin sweater. By the time he made it to his apartment building, he was shivering so violently, he dropped the key three times as he fumbled to unlock the door. Inside, all he could do was curl up on the couch, convinced that he was going to die. Later that evening, his mother returned, took one look at him, and realized that the poor child was sick. Though a rather indifferent mother, she was not completely heartless, so she called a co-worker to trade shifts so that she could take the boy to the free clinic the next day. She dosed him with baby aspirin and tucked him into bed with the best of intentions. It was sometime during the night, he wasn't sure when, that he woke up with a start. Someone was sitting on his bed, the light from the hallway spilling onto the floor of his tiny bedroom. He stayed very still, unsure at first if he was actually awake. After a moment or two, he smelled the familiar and oddly comforting stench of liquor, and he realized that it was his mother. As he lay there, his eyes became adjusted to the play of light and shadows across her face, and he saw that she seemed to be talking to him. It was the oddest thing. Her lips were moving, but there was absolutely no sound. He stared at her harder, feeling his eyes getting bigger in the darkness as he tried to see. Still, as far as he could tell, she made no sound. All he could hear was a high-pitched ringing that seemed to be coming from inside his head. She smiled at him and put her hand behind his back to raise his head. He understood that she wanted him to take some more aspirin, which he dutifully took from her hand, chewed, and swallowed. She put her hand across his forehead, and he could not believe how cool and wonderful it felt. She continued to move her lips without saying a word as he laid his head back down on the pillow. He stayed in bed all the next day, and the day after that, sleeping fitfully, Even though his mother had gotten others to cover for her at work, she never took him to the clinic, having spent her free time drinking. On the third day, his fever broke, and the ringing in his ears faded. But from then on, he was completely deaf in his right ear, and nearly so in his left. Whether this was because of the fever or the untreated ear infection is impossible to say. Always a quiet child, it never occurred to him to say anything at all to his mother about his problem. Indeed, at first he didn't even really think he had a problem. He thought, instead, that everyone had somehow decided to talk without speaking, perhaps as a new and even crueler way of tormenting him. A careful watcher of people, he soon learned to read lips and body language, and, although it often took him a while to figure out what was being said, few people ever even noticed his deafness. As his school years progressed and he was reevaluated for special education services, his deafness was discovered. His mother, however, refused to acknowledge that he had a problem at all, claiming instead that he was simply stubborn. That concludes this week's chapter of Someone to Watch Over Me. Thank you for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 105 of Wait a Week Mystery or visit J.C. Bodden to order the book. Either way, I hope your weight is a happy one.